0: It didn't take many weeks for me to want to do something about this because what would happen is we'd make the beer and then we'd have to haul this stuff to the curb and tip it into a dumpster and it felt like i was throwing away food and this was 2009 2010 no one was talking about food waste at the time it just felt like common sense that it was silly to waste this stuff especially when we were spending all that money buying the ingredients in the first place
1: welcome to the sustainable jungle podcast i'm lyle and today joy and i are talking about edible upcycling with daniel kurzrock Daniel is the co-founder of Regrained, an innovative startup based in Cali that has worked with the USDA to develop new technology to turn beer waste into delicious snacks. And yes, you heard that right. Beer waste is delicious. We talk about the food waste problem, this no-brainer solution, Dan's journey in mission-based entrepreneurship, the challenge with perishable sustainable food packaging, and what's next for Regrained. As always, you can find the show notes for this episode at sustainablejungle.com forward slash podcast. Now, let's eat beer with Dan Kurzrock. Daniel, thank you so much for joining us on our podcast. We are so excited to have you on our show and we're really keen to get into the nitty-gritty of Regrain. But before we do, I think we should just start at the beginning. Can you tell us where you were born and where did you grow up?
0: Yeah, well, first of all, thanks for having me on here. I'm looking forward to uh, chatting chat with you guys. You know, I, so I'm a California born and bred human. I uh, was technically born in Los Angeles, Southern California, but was raised in Northern California very much with, I wouldn't have called it environmentalism at the time, but I've realized now later in life that you know really just grew up in this uh, environment that was, very much focused on appreciating the natural world and, and resources, and, and you know, went back down to Southern California for my undergraduate, back up to Northern California for my, uh, my business school program, and you know I still live here in, in Northern California, so not, not the most uh, diverse geographically, but a great it's been a great life so far.
2: Not a bad place to be. Not
0: <laughs> a not a yeah. Yeah, yeah, a lot of people end up moving out here, right? Yeah, so it's,
2: <laughs> it's Hard.
0: To Hard place to leave. I'm very grateful for the uh, opportunity to grow up and, and live here. You alluded to the
1: the fact that it's very much an outdoors life. Can you tell us a bit more about that and what you got up to?
0: Sure. Yeah. I mean, I uh, and these days, I, I like to joke that my you know my hobbies are part time gravity research. So I, I spend a lot of time in the in the mountains. My big you know sports are skiing and and cycling, both both mountain biking and and, and road riding. You know, trail running. Hiking, um, you know, that kind of stuff. I, I like to be outside as basically as much as possible, um, which I was actually, you know, raised doing these doing these activities, and uh, I know now that they kind of instilled in me an, an, an appreciation for uh, the the natural world, that even though it wasn't explicit, you know, growing up. It's just is something that you know now I'm just so steeped in uh, all, all the time, and uh, try to just be there as much as be there as much as possible.
1: It sounds like you stumbled on this. Concept of food sustainability, upcycling food waste from also a relatively young age. I wonder if you can just share that journey with us.
0: You know, it's funny. I look back, and my grandfather is that person. He still does this, where if you don't finish your food, he'll just eat it off your plate. You know, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, they, had, they, was, yeah, my, my, they had a vegetable garden. My dad had a vegetable garden, did their own compost. You know, like that that's kind of what I what I grew up around. But I never, I did also, my, my other grandfather was in the food business, um, more in that kind of process, you know, food, uh, tomatoes, and things, things like that, frozen, frozen foods, food. But when I, what I, for me, what happened is I went to, you know, I went to college, university, um, and I learned my my first year, uh, you know, so I'm 18 years old, I learned how to make my own beer. Now, in the U.S., the drinking age is 21. It's it perfectly legal, though, to purchase the ingredients to make beer. and So I was very uh, enamored by that. Probably that hobby, um, of course it was illegal <laughs> to then drink what we created, so never never touched the stuff right. I had no idea if it was any good.
1: <laughs> uh, <laughs> how did your mom feel about that <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> so yeah that's uh, you know it's funny because then when I, I I just loved it, so it was just two thousand nine when I learned how to brew beer, and this was right when the craft beer movement really started to take off. So,
1: oh yeah, so yeah. all of a sudden
0: there was you know there was when I started university, there was one or two craft breweries in uh, the Los Angeles area. And I thought that my my first entrepreneurial inclination in the space was to actually start a, a brewery, because you know everyone that learns how to brew beer has that dream of one day having having a brewery. And what happened was you know, as we got into the have you have you two ever made beer before? I,
1: I used to watch my dad make it, but he would buy those you know those very much easy home kits. Yeah,
0: yeah which is a perfect segue into you know what I was going to outline here, because when you start, you, you you maybe start with a kit, and so beer it has four ingredients. Um, there's grains, you know, malted grains, uh, water, hops, and yeast. And when you first start making beer, you don't buy grains. Usually, you have sort of, kind of like a syrup that you add the water. It's like you know, basically adding these malt sugars to. Uh, the liquid, and that's what ends up fermenting is the sugars from the grains. But so as you get more advanced, you want to have more customization kind of about what you're making. And what you start to do is actually do a smaller version of what the commercial breweries are doing, which is where you actually take the, the grains themselves and you, you basically prepare them almost like a batch of oatmeal um, and you extract those liquid sugars. It's called wort, you know, from the grains itself. And so once we started doing that, and we were doing it every week, you know, it was about, we were making about a, one third of one keg in terms of volume. Uh, on a weekly basis so we would be making this you know five gallons at a time and using 20 to 30 pounds of grain with every you know with every batch it's about a pound for every six pack and you only use the grains for the sugars and what's left is you know it's a residual solid. it resembles a giant cooler you know think of like a cooler on the sidelines of a sports match uh, full of oatmeal and what was shocking for for me at the time was that we were being in being in Los Angeles. We didn't even have we didn't have a compost bin, let alone a garden or farm animals to to feed this to, which is what we you know I'd read you know, people people do with these with these grains. And so every week, it didn't take many weeks for me to want to do something about this. Because what would happen is we'd make the beer and then we'd have to haul this stuff to the curb and tip it into a dumpster. And it felt like I was throwing away food. And this was two thousand nine, two thousand ten. No one was talking about food waste at the time. It just felt like common sense that it was silly to, to waste this stuff. Mm. Especially when we were spending all that money buying the ingredients in the first place. And so the original kind of hairbrained scheme was to make which and I you know, learned that some breweries around brew pubs around the country were, you know, making making breads or making, you know, pizza doughs and things like that. And I figured, okay, if I can figure out how to make beer, I can probably make bread. And if I sell that bread to friends, I can use the proceeds to buy more ingredients to brew more beer. Um, so you know it didn't really set out with much of a much more of a mission than that Um, and you know everything else kind of grew from from there and as you've observed the the scope has grown considerably and you know now we're really trying to tackle a a massive what we see as a massive opportunity to help align the food we eat with the planet we love but it all really just started as an underage homebrewer that wanted to be able to brew for free.
1: <laughs> That's an incredible story. Uh, and and can I ask, how did the beer bread
0: actually taste? Uh, it was. You know, I, now I can make much much better. At <laughs> so it was. Uh, you know, it was good. It was what I do is make ten, you know, maybe a dozen loaves. You know, two dozen loaves uh, on a you know Friday night, and would just basically sell out. You know, to, I lived in a fraternity house at the time. And so it wasn't hard to find people to, you know, they kind of smell the fresh bread. And the next day it wasn't so good, right? But when it was fresh, it was it was decent, um, better than you'd expect. But we're we're making much better things now.
2: You also studied an MBA in sustainable management. Was that before or after regrained came into effect?
0: That was after. So I started regrained as a it was first a, a hobby, and you know, I talk about those days as being recreational entrepreneurship. Um, you know, loved it. Always wanted to take it full time. But I recognized that I was young and that I um, didn't have the life experience that I thought that I needed, you know, or that, you know, whether or not that was perception or real. I think it's reality, like, you know, I just needed to, to learn some things before I could give this thing a real go. And so we pursued it uh, just doing farmer's markets and things like that for a few years. And I hit the point where it really seems like we were onto something. And you, know, you think you'll find most entrepreneurs are, it's not that we love risk. It's that we have, cal- we take calculated risks. Um, you know, like I'm not, I don't, if I go to a casino, I don't gamble. Like I can't, I can't do that, but you know, <laughs> but I, you know, quit my, quit my job to start a business. But one of the ways that I helped make that transition easier, um, for, you know, an easier relief for me is I, I applied to the sustainable business program and quit my job to focus on getting that uh, sustainable. MBA degree while also growing the business, so the business existed but not as not full time. And my goal was that by the time I graduated from this program, uh, that I would be able to you know raise some money and do it and do it full time. I think I was probably 24 when I started the business school program, so I'd been out of school for a few years, and you know accomplished that that goal.
2: What sort of things did you learn in sustainable management? I'm now just very curious about the education side of sustainable management in an MBA setting. Yeah. Like it's not kind of what you associated with MBA. what you'd expect yeah yeah
0: so so the school is called the Presidio Graduate School of Management um, they were one of the first programs to do this now you can find these types of uh, focuses in various MBA programs around the around the country which is great uh, the idea is uh, it's built around you know I like explaining it as the triple bottom line you know so we were you know the business it, it, it's it's making that leap from being a for profit to being not just for profit, so you know, beginning to take into account um, and integrating this really from the beginning, uh, the environmental impact of you know, business practices as well as social. You know, so the three you know, there's you know, people, planet, and profit on the triple bottom line, and every course you know was taught through through that lens. So when we did operations, you know, it wasn't just about finding. The cheapest way to do everything it was look, also looking at the life cycle assessment you know the, the LPLPA uh, you know carbon footprints and things like that and making more holistic decisions because uh, you think of von Chard of Patagonia said it, said it best so He's mm. the first person I heard say this is that you can't do business on a dead planet right and so you know how can we create businesses that uh, can do well while also doing good? you know, not having that, that compromise exist. Let's
2: talk about Regrained. I'm super keen to actually understand what it is and how it came to be.
0: You know, Regrained as a as a business, what well, we are first and foremost is an ingredient company. And then we have consumer products. So if you look us up, you'll see our line of nutrition bars, you know, online, which we've been in market for now for, for a little while. Um, we've got a line of salty snacks coming up soon. It's all based around this new ingredient, which is grain that we take from breweries um, after they've taken the sugars from it. Uh, the brewing process is, you know, again, it's basically a de process of the, of the grains. that leaves behind protein, fiber, prebiotics, you know, there's kind of a lot, a lot going on in this. And it's generated at a clip of a pound for every six-pack. And so what we've done is we've actually invented a energy-efficient, food-safe way of taking the grain output from the breweries, stabilizing it, you know, as a new supply chain that can be used to make um, all kinds of, of food. So we uh, think of it as a, you know, it, it comes out of the brewery, it's very wet, it's about 90% water, and we dry it That We stabilize it, we dry it down, we mill it into a powder, think of it like a flour, and then we can use that flour as an inclusion in various baked goods and snacks and, you know, all kinds of culinary applications. We can also make, uh, you know, the various value-added ingredients like, you know, Rice Krispies and, you know, things like that that can then be used.
2: A yeah, Rice Krispies. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, so maybe maybe someday Burios will finally be it. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Um,
0: So that's yeah, that's kind of what we're what we're up to. We're both. There's a few dimensions to our business that's kind of unique. We're not just a consumer products company. You know, we're also got this B two B side of what we're doing, which is where we see uh, the opportunity to make the most impact. And we hope to, if we're our best best case in terms of success, is that we're able to you know license and deploy our this technology that we've developed at breweries around the world and eventually we can also apply that to other overlooked and undervalued sources of nutrition in the food system so we call this model upcycling um it's about promoting the best use of, of a resource you know in our case edible upcycling so best use of a of a food ingredient and you know we are an upcycled ingredient platform.
2: Obviously food waste is a big is a big issue. And in your TED talk, you gave some very fascinating stats about the food waste problem. I think that's totally worth repeating here.
0: Yeah, it's a big problem also, you know, big big opportunity. Something that's just really great that people are starting to pay attention to. Refed came out with a great report a few years ago that quantified the food waste problem and uh, a few different ways uh more accurately than it's ever been done before and you know what they arrived at is that 40 percent of all food that is grown uh never gets eaten you know which is kind of insane it's like going to the gro- it's kind of like going to the grocery store and you know leaving with five bags and just dropping two of them in the parking lot and that's you know that's what we're doing in the with, with our food system what i think is even more mind-blowing than that is that food waste has to be, it starts with a definition, right? And what's considered food in the first place. And that's really what we're kind of challenging. Food waste as it's defined and measured by that 40% uh, statistic it is absolutely enormously important to uh, dramatically cut and, 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 and make improvements on. But there's also nutrition that is not currently being measured as food. And, you know, what we're doing with the grains used in the brewing process is a great example of this. There's about 20 billion pounds of grains used um, every year by the brewing industry in the US and and these are not measured as as food. because It's it's really a more of a you know manufacturing byproduct and most of these grains historically have gone to uh, farmers, ranchers. Um, What's changed is the Beer industries—it's gotten, you know, more and more craft breweries are opening up in cities. You know, it's more difficult for an urban brewer to have those same kind of relationships with the, uh, you know, with the with the farmer. And you know, even a small brewery will generate, you know, a million pounds or so of the stuff a year. Uh, and then it's, there's all, there's and there's also the argument of of putting it to the highest use. So if you look at the food recovery hierarchy, um, feeding people, you know, is at the top. Kind of similar to why you would, you know, for environmental reasons promote a plant based diet, right? Because dealing with the entropy of feeding plants to animals and then eating the animals, you know, if you can just eat the plants directly, that's, um,
2: way more you know, better,
0: better, better use of, yeah, it's a more efficient use of resources, exactly. So what we're trying to do is bring into the, that food waste conversation, you know, these opportunities to upcycle. We think it's an important part of it. It's common. It's also common sense. I mean, a good, a good analog is way. From cheese making, so whey is a, a very valuable source of protein, the byproduct of making cheese. But now you have, you know, at least in the U.S., there's some cheese companies that are actually producing whey, and cheese is now the byproduct because the whey is so valuable. But you know, decades ago, um, it was a challenge for them to to get rid of.
2: Curious to know about the process of engaging with the breweries and asking them to take on take on their waste. I imagine it's kind of an incredulous look that they give you when you, when you say, can we take on your waste?
0: You know, more, more, more often than not, actually, the breweries, you know, early on, we're just like, and they're like, oh, finally, someone's doing something. Like this. Or, oh, I had that idea. You know, so it's kind of, it's been something that um, people have thought of before and done on smaller scales. And there's been a lot of excitement that we're trying to do it, you know, in a, uh, in a more meaningful systems-based way. What what essentially happened is we realized that the opportunity was much bigger than our own grain from our own, you know, beer process. And the first one we went to, you know, we're like, Oh yeah, someone come on by, we've got it got it for you in the back. And it was like in a dumpster and, you know, rotting basically and yeah. not, <laughs> um and so we have to work closely with the breweries to understand, you know, what they're making, when they're making it, and um, you know, we have these gold standard, you know, food safe practices that we built along the way. So the breweries were very excited you know, we continue to get uh, inquiries online about when we can you know, work with different breweries in different cities and you know, we're really excited to you know, continue to, to grow and service more, more breweries. But we need more people to, uh, we need more food companies to use more of our ingredients and more um, you know, people to buy those this products. So we're, we're you know trying to, we're building supply and demand at the, at the same time. At the same time, yeah. That's
1: great. I, I just want to say that, um, the thought of the amount of grain that is probably wasted uh, must be absolutely enormous. I mean, how much beer is drunk around the world, right? Yeah, I, it yeah. would be
2: globally, it must be just,
1: just an, an yeah, incomprehensible amount. You're
0: making me thirsty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, it's Friday afternoon for you there, isn't it? So that's beer o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about the demand side then. You call this super grain that comes out of the beer. Why is it mm-hmm. called super grain? Why is it such a, an amazing grain? You you alluded to it before, but it, I think we, it makes sense to to pull out some of those um, benefits of this
0: super grain. To explain why we call it super grain, uh, I should first explain that the technical term for this material by the brewing industry is spent grain, S P E N T, and it's called that because it has it has spent its ability to make more beer, basically. But what's left is, as a food is actually a concentration of fiber and protein. You know, we're talking about by weight, twice the protein of quinoa, four times the fiber of oats, right? This is very nutritious. And so we realized that in order to help build demand for this, we need to give it a new a, a food name. You know, that's kind of where, where super grain came from because it's super, it's a super nutritious grain. Um, it's, you know, more nutritious than any you kind know, virgin grain.
2: So then, that grain goes into your products, and you say that you've already got the obviously the bars and then chips now as well, right?
0: Yeah, the chips are launching next month.
2: Oh, that's so exciting! And so, uh, tell us about the bars specifically. So, obviously, they contain super gra- super grain and other things as well.
0: Yeah. So the idea was to because before we could get another company to buy ingredients from us and make products, you know, using this grain, we figured we needed to prove that people would eat it. We also needed revenue. You know, so we went from making bread to making bars, uh, quite simply because we could make a hundred bars in an afternoon and package them by hand, and they would last a few weeks instead of a, you know, a day. Um, and then we tried to create flavor profiles and also you know, nutritional profiles and other kind of superfood inclusions that would make the product on its own be something that is tasty and you know delicious and nutritious and oh by the way it's it's sustainable you know we believe that our our sustainability value proposition is something that is more of a reason for loyalty than a reason for for purchase for most people right uh, but we learned a lot of that along the way i mean early on we just put eat beer <laughs> on the package and you know, we tried to just get you know get attention like that so we 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 kind of iterated our our messaging and even, you know especially our, our recipe uh along the way as you might imagine, one of our challenges with, uh, we were emailing about this, with uh, launching a bar and, you know, really any kind of CPG company, consumer packaged goods, you know, product, um, you know, the P, the packaging, is, yeah. is something that, um, you know, if you're really committed to fighting waste, is, you know, it's like, okay, are we going to fight food waste and then create packaging waste? You know, that was something that we wrestled with and we decided early on to use a compostable package. Uh, we ended up running into some significant challenges with that as our distribution grew. But really from the, you know, we're really trying to, you know, if you will, bake our, our, our values into our, our products uh, from, from the beginning.
2: Excuse the pun. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm super keen to understand more about the packaging issue. I mean, it must be so complex. I mean, this is how we ended up with plastic packaging in the first place, I imagine. But obviously innovation can hopefully overcome that issue.
0: Conventional packaging is really effective at doing its job of, Keeping food fresh. It's also cheap, and there's really well-developed supply chains for it. You know, a lot of times we think of downstream and how these packages that are created can't be recycled, and also less than nine percent of all plastics that have ever been created are actually recycled, even for the ones that are recyclable. So, you know, recycle that's, that's a whole other whole other topic. But the the other upstream, is what's important to, to remember that most people don't really realize is that uh, conventional plastic is made from Fossil fuels it is a petroleum based product. Um, and so it's also supporting this extremely destructive industry. So we use the compostable, you know, very, we've had a few versions of it, compostable packaging, you know, plant based packaging. And the challenge with this packaging, we always thought the reasons why people didn't do it is because it's more expensive. It's, you know, there's not the, the supply supply chains. So you've got longer like lead times and complexities to deal with. Um, but what we experienced is that actually, the, you know, one of a <laughs> big challenge with it is that it, it doesn't work as well which makes sense right I mean it's made of less stuff that's why it biodegrades
2: yeah
0: but what happened to us is as we increased our distribution and you know from dozens of stores to hundreds of stores and thousands of stores the product would sit in the truck and maybe that truck would get hot and then it would go in a hot truck uh, it would think of it like it would sweat and so the moisture the moisture barrier is, is not as good so our product was Sailing out in in transit and arriving at the store, sale. Oh, no. So the the irony there is that our packaging choice was actually creating food waste. Yeah, oh, ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, damn. So it's a you know it feels like an intractable problem, right? But it is something that we remain optimistic about. We had to switch to conventional film so that we could survive as a business long enough to make an impact on this long term. Yeah. You know, we're testing some new materials. We're part of this great group called. um, the Packaging Collaborative, uh, OSC2, um, one step closer to an organic and sustainable future. Which, so that I for, is a bit of a mouthful. Yeah. It's a coalition of brands that, that care about this, and so it's, it remains something that's, that we're really passionate about. But we realized that we had to prioritize our missions, and that if we're not solvent as a business, you know, we can't do anything. And so we—that was—that was towards the middle of last year that we. Uh, you know, made that switch. It was one of the hardest decisions I've ever had to make totally as, a mission, as a mission-driven leader and it's something that I still struggle with. Um, but it was unquestionably the right move for us long term. We just kind of had this...
2: Yeah, I imagine there's going to be so many companies out there as we move into this new era of focusing on sustainability, at least I hope that's what we're moving to, that are going to be interested in this type of innovation. How close do you think the coalition is to finding a solution to the problem?
0: You know, there's been some really successful tests Recently, also a good example of a brand in it is Numi Tea and Alter Eco Chocolate. You know, and they both have um, successfully shown. The thing is, is that it's also different depending on the type of product that you're making. Right. Yeah. So you know, it's not like you know a silver bullet solution. So one product you know might be fine in a certain package that another product isn't. And so you know, the bars, you know, we're still we're still testing, but the Numi you know Numi the tea bags are now all. The plant-based compostable and Alter Eco, their tr- chocolate truffle uh, wrappers are, are compostable. You know, a lot still needs to be done downstream. Right, and a lot of these end up not being composted. Yeah. But at least they have at least they have plant-based inputs uh, upstream. Yeah, we need regulation. But yeah, it's a, you know, there's there's reasons for optimism, but it's it's still taking time. But the good thing is like you know, people care now. Single-use plastic was like, like the word. The phrase "single-use" was one of the words of the year last year. Yeah, um, I forget which dictionary said that. You know, but if change is coming. I just always worry it's not coming fast enough. Sometimes yeah. What well, did displaced. you see
2: this week? The announcement that China has decided to ban single-use plastics completely.
0: I I uh, actually didn't see that. Uh, that's I pretty big. That, but, you know. Yeah. That's, uh, there's a there's a few people that live there. so um, <laughs> yeah. just, just a handful. Yeah. <laughs>
2: I think we, I think we'll see innovation really fast, and uh, you know it's exciting to see brands like Regrained not only investing in in new technologies that actually convert food waste into something useful, but also are uh, you know banding together with others to solve problems like this like this packaging issue that affects so many. It's very cool, very
0: yeah, Something that it's something that we think is not competitive. It shouldn't be competitive. You know, it's something that we should all be um, you know working on as an industry. Uh, Again, can't do business on a dead planet, right? So, yeah, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to updating you guys at some point in the future with some some good news that we're switching back to Compostable and that other brands are switching to that. So, we really hope to prove that it can work, uh, but we can't do it alone. We don't want to do it alone. Yeah, awesome.
1: Yeah, well, two steps forward, one step back and uh, absolutely hear you, and that's actually a good segue uh, into the next section, Dan. We are seeing an emergence of these B corps and, and mission-based startups like Regrained. And given your experience, I wonder if you can talk a little bit about this type of business as we face an era where we need to solve an incredible amount of extreme environmental and social problems.
0: Yeah, I think that being a B corp is is a good way to at least bake that kind of Purpose into the you know, into the actual corporate DNA. So by doing that, you're saying, hey, you know, we are here not just for shareholders, but also for stakeholders. You know, not mean, we're not we're not going to make profit, but we're not going to make every decision to maximize short term profit. Right? Well, we really need to move away from as a business community a short term thinking. And so it is, I think, a hope spot to seeing things the B Corp movement you know, grow and you know, it's definitely global now. There's some very large companies that are doing that, and they have to. Be Report out on, you know, we all have to report on various metrics and really mm. you know, improve. And, you know, I think it's um, not the only, definitely not the only part of the solution. It's something that, that we felt was, you know, important to support um, as a, you know, kind of new, make it kind of the new standard, you know, business model. And so I, what I've, what I've actually haven't seen any data on this, but I'd be interested to see is of all the new startups, you know, that are, that are, that are, you know, especially like product companies. I wonder if there's an increase in companies that are starting with the legal structure of the benefit corporation, you know, in addition to those that are um, obviously transitioning their legal structure to, you know, being uh, B Corp, a benefit corporation and then and also B Corp certified. Yeah, um, and I think that that'd be an interesting bellwether to to take a look at, but it's something that we're you know all on board with.
1: Absolutely. Here. Hopefully, in the future, it'll be the standard for businesses to absolutely take. Uh, into consideration and, and base their targets on on environmental metrics and, and that sort of thing.
0: Yeah, it's a lot. It's a it's a lofty goal, but and you know, but I think it's something that uh, you know we we need to make some pretty radical changes. But we you know, there's also a lot of really large companies out there that even if they were to make some smaller changes, would yeah. <laughs> make. Yeah. But you know, we wouldn't do we like to look at it from both ends. We do a lot of work with these big companies. The big companies doing we see ourselves as like a little you know, tugboat, right? They can you know, move a much, That's my much bigger. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Navigate. Sorry, yeah. In your TED talk, Dan,
1: you, you mentioned that Regrained was a, a six years overnight success, and I. I love that uh, that little phrase. I okay. um,
0: <laughs> you know, probably was even spoke too soon on that because we're still working on playing that <laughs> overnight.
1: I wonder if you can just talk me through that feeling at this point, uh, and, and I know you're saying it, it's not a full-blown success yet, but do you have a sense of satisfaction, pride, overwhelm, excitement?
0: I think uh, like purpose is really the greatest kind of thing that, we, that I'm able to enjoy. I know that we're doing something that matters, and I, and I love doing it. And, you know, I had no idea how far this thing has become. I mean, it's not like we started this business by first identifying a market opportunity and then uh, and then pursuing it. You know, we just kind of stumbled into it and just kind of kept, kept growing, and it's changed a lot, and it will you know continue to change. Um, but I'm, you know, for example, I would have never thought that we would work with the USDA to develop technology to help process this stuff. I would have never guessed that when we started, I didn't even know that food waste was going to be something people were going to were going to talk about. And so I'm very grateful to have been able to take it take it this far. And I, But what's hard for me is taking a step back and thinking about how far we've come because I'm so focused on how much more ground we have to cover.
1: Do you have any advice, Dan, that you could share with any other aspiring entrepreneurs who are thinking about starting their own mission-based business.
0: Yeah, I think the hardest thing is just getting started. You know, just do it, like take action on your ideas. Ask, ask for help is also really important. Like there's a lot of people that have kind of seen the movie before. Yeah. like You don't have to know everything. You shouldn't know everything. You know, the value that we bring as the kind of passionate founders is that is that vision and um, the emotional current behind the company. That you're trying to create, and then the rest is about creating a, you know, finding a team of people that you know, can do it. They can, they can help you get there. So yeah, I think it's just about like taking, taking action, and, you know, that's realizing that it is going to be that, you know, we are talking about earlier, the two steps forward and one step back, and sometimes it's one step forward and two steps back, and you know, that's okay.
2: Okay, so what's what's next for regrained? You guys are obviously going to be focusing on the packaging issue, but what else? More, more products, global geographic expansion
0: yeah i mean so we're uh scaling up our, our processing um considerably right now here in the bay area um you know, we commercialized that the technology that we've developed so you know on the ingredient side we're starting to sell you know the ingredients to other to other companies you know bigger and bigger levels we're gonna have some big launches with that uh later either way definitely by next you know at some point in 2021 hopefully some, some mature to a lot of these bigger companies have long development cycles you know, we've got our own products that we're that we're innovating and launching. Um, you know, we talked about the the, the chips that are launching, you know, the puffs that are launching next month. Mm. We've got some other things in the in the pipeline there. And just growing our distribution too. You know, right now we're mostly on the west coast, so you know, we'd love to, you know, be uh, a national brand by the end of the year and you know, it's gonna start being international at, at some point. Although I would love instead of shipping products all over the place, I'd love to work with local you know, more local, you know, food brands and manufacturers and uh
2: yeah hence the licensing yeah, de-
0: idea right de- 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 yeah decentralized de- de- in that way um, mm. but yeah i mean there's a we're, we're, we're probably trying to do too much you know but it's the only way that we you know how to think about it like <laughs> big big, big problem slash opportunity
1: yeah we we want to know when we can get uh get the bars here in oz so yeah uh, we we've got forward a to bre- that.
2: we've got a brewery we can see outside from here oh uh, yeah our
0: window really the yeah car- i'm your door
2: carlton united brewery which is obviously huge it's like one of the australia's biggest producers of beer and we just found out that their factory is getting closed down and they're going to make it into apartments because it's right on the river it's like in a really beautiful spot but it's like the the operation is just astounding how big it is um so it's sad that it's going to be closing in a way but um i imagine that their food waste is quite incredible if only they had already um gotten onto this process of you know getting their waste, <laughs> yeah exactly, regraining. yeah.
0: I like that <laughs> verb. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> make, make a verb out of it, yeah. Yeah, exactly, <laughs>
2: so Daniel, how can people support you guys? Like, what, where can people, how can they follow along the journey and how can they buy your bars, where should they go?
0: Yeah, I mean, of course we've got uh, like, Insta, you know, Instagram is probably the best social media to engage with us on, we post a lot of updates there, um, you know, we have a mailing list, um, you know, one of the, we do love receiving, Notes from people, you know, with, uh, you know, in different, different places. Uh, just engage with us. We're really all about, um, doing this, doing this together. If you live in a place where our products are sold or, you know, delivered on, you know, Amazon, from, from the US, you know, North America, in Canada, um, uh, just trying our products and let you know, us know what you think. We think you'll love them. You know, our whole thing is we're not <laughs> early on, our, our products basically tasted like a good idea, right? And uh, that's not what you. <laughs> Not what you want, you know. Our, even if you don't know what we're doing with our mission, we think that um, you'll you'll love what we make.
2: Yeah, you kept saying in your TED talks that they were delicious, and it made me want to try them. So yeah, yeah,
0: like, well,
2: yeah, they sound yeah really delicious.
0: Well, well, come 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 visit. Yeah, they and like I said, they weren't they weren't always, and that was more of just a product of us needing to learn how to work with the ingredient, and also make you know make food products. But yeah, it's uh we're trying to find that. This ultimate intersection between incredible tasting you know incredible for you and and for the planet um,
2: yeah yeah, very cool and there are specific stores people can buy them in you know like are there chains
0: that, yeah places you know? like whole places like whole foods, whole foods. Um, oh, wow. yeah yeah, and yeah, so we're in a lot of kind of like the natural and organic uh grocery stores is what we uh what I call that that sector, here, yeah, mostly on the west coast at the moment, but we were you know expanding pretty, pretty quickly this year with our uh products
2: yeah and so exciting that you're gonna have chips i love chips that's, <laughs>
0: that's
2: pretty cool. yeah have
0: you ever had a, have you ever had pops before they're kind of like uh, I think of like healthy cheetos or something like that
2: healthy cheetos yeah
1: no, i've never tried that that, that sounds, sounds so delicious
2: good. what kind of flavors are you gonna have
0: we have uh smoked sea salt and cracked black pepper oh, oh uh, cool. texas pit barbecue so there's different types of barbecue um this is more like a slow smoked Flavor, as opposed to a really sweet kind of saucy flavor. Wow! Um, we have urban garden, which is like a savory vegetable and herb flavor. Nice. you can see uh, the art on our website. It's like a you know beautiful rooftop garden scene. Um, there is a aged sharp cheese flavor, cheddar flavor. Of course, we're going to have a cheese flavor.
1: Yeah.
0: Um. Then there is a Mexican street corn elote, which is like a incredible street food dish that not, not too many people know a lot about. There's a lot of like, kind of chili and lime in that, Ooh, in that flavor. Uh flavor like really roasted roasted corn. Yeah, it's um yeah E L O T E if you wanna uh, yeah, to check that out. Is that five? We have five flavors. No oh, sounds
1: like
2: a very well thought out range
1: of uh, chips. I haven't e- we haven't even had breakfast yet. It's ten thirty. I that I'm starving okay. now. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah. Like, like
1: beer and chips. I then need to go buy a packet of chips. Yeah. Yeah,
0: <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, what's nice is that it's you know, they're um, a, a serving is almost forty pieces, only a hundred calories, good source of fiber. You know, it's got about uh half the fat of even the, the healthy the healthy ones. So it's um, you know, something that's you know indulgent but not empty calories. Jeez. and
2: because the sugar was removed during the process, can you say they're sugar free or do you add do you need to add in some sweetness? well
0: n- well for the bar you need the you know things like honey and to hold it together yeah so yeah it's definitely not not sugar free but you know our bars are only eight gram sugar yeah some other kind of leading bars and uh the average is at least double that.
2: I think we're pretty convinced that we'd like to
0: try it well yeah
2: if we if we come I yeah, wish it
0: easy wish it was easier for you, yeah.
2: Yeah, exactly. You can't really justify shipping a bar across to Australia at this point. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> Whoever we know that's going to the U.S. next can get bring us one back. Um, yeah. Dan, very last doozy question, our favorite question. If you could have one message or piece of advice truly heard by everyone on the planet, what would it be?
0: Yeah, I just think
2: it's,
0: it's so easy to not have hope today. There's so many uh, issues. Um, that uh, and we have access to them in real time right and it can be really overwhelming and um, i just think that we all need to focus on the agency that we can have you know we all can be um we all can be agents of, of change i'm not the first person to say that at all so like, i just try to you know remind myself of that you know we can't solve all the problems at the same time but we can um, make you know an impact on more than we realize really and so i think that we all need to start just taking action and um, you know, and taking action on things that aren't just uh kind of short-term thinking but you know focused on on the long term and on the system and on um, you know, creating a future where it's going to be sustainable and prosperous for everyone it's pretty pretty lofty but it's, you know it's it's really important um and that's what keeps you know that keeps me going yeah and also remember to get outside and play you know, we gotta, we gotta, in order to appreciate, you know, this planet that we're trying to protect. It, I think we gotta um, get out there and experience it ourselves.
2: And you can start by eating beer while you're out there.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, good way to keep you fueled for sure. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fair. Thank
1: you, thanks, Dan. That that's uh, sage advice. A single person can certainly make a difference. Thank you so much for coming on board and and sharing your story we so appreciate it and we'll put your links in the show notes so everybody can follow along too and thank you dan it's been it's been fantastic
0: yeah no, thank you it's great great chatting with you and uh looking forward to keeping in touch
1: once again we are so inspired to hear such impressive stories of innovation and passion if you're based in the u.s please do try regrain's delicious snacks and if you're based elsewhere Perhaps you could share this episode with home brewers or even perhaps big brewers that might find this technology helpful in dealing with their own waste. It's so important that we share these ideas that have the potential to drive so much change. As always, thank you for your listenership and we'll catch you next time.